The Blaze Radio Network. On demand. Pat Gray. We've conceded to those who pervert our rights that this means God's not allowed in school, on in government property, buildings or complexes, or virtually anywhere in public. If you want to practice your superstitions, <laughs> go ahead and do that in the, you know, in the confines of your church on Sunday morning if you need to. <laughs> but don't dare drag that nonsense outside those walls to us. Pat Gray. Weekdays noon to 3 Eastern, only on the Blaze Radio Network. Reaching the fault lines of today. Welcome to Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network. This is Dr. Zudi Jasser. Welcome back to another episode this week of Reform This on the Blaze Radio Network. This is your faithful doctor, your doctor of reform. Reform. I'm a medical doctor, but I bring you this program week to week because I feel that the treatment for radical Islam, the treatment for theocratic Islam has to come from within the Muslim community. And this program week to week bridges that divide, attacks the uh, the issues that no one else will. And I hope if you're new, you give, it a, you give me a chance, you give this a chance uh, to realize that there are issues here that nobody else will discuss. And not only will nobody else discuss, but you won't find an American Muslim willing to take on these issues, willing to take on the establishment within our own community of imams, of clerics, of governments, of Islamists, domestically and abroad, that refuse to address the real problems. And you'll also find an unapologetic conservative American, an unapologetic patriot, who believes that it is that patriotism, that sense of Americanism that prevented me from being radicalized, that made me feel so passionate about this country that I had to give back. I had to fulfill that responsibility of leaving a legacy of reform. Will it be enough? It may only be a drop in the ocean. Or it may begin the roll of that snowball down the hill that not only creates a major boulder, but even an avalanche against the Islamists. Um, today, I'm going to start with the first segment, talk to you about, listen, you know, we'll get into the Islamic issues and where we are in Kirkuk with the, the Kurds that have been abandoned, uh, what's happening with the State Department, uh, uh, a lot of the attack in Somalia. But first, I have to tell you, uh, you know, I've been one of those sometimes conservative critics of uh, the president. But I am sick and tired of the politics. The politics. Does the left, does CNN, MSNBC, the New York Times, that establishment media ever look at itself in the mirror? This week, there's an issue that particularly is just making the hair on the back of my neck stand. It has to do with how we treat our slain soldiers. And yet when the left and the obsessed anti-Trump media talks about this, they want to claim that it's President Trump that's politicizing the deaths of American sons and daughters abroad. And this week we saw, sadly, four 
of our armed service members dying in an ambush in Niger. And actually, we learned about it, that it actually happened two weeks ago when four U.S. soldiers were killed during an ambush, apparently by a branch of ISIS in the Great Sahara. But now this week, the Pentagon, AFRICOM, African Command, has sent a team to the African nation to conduct a review of the facts, according to two U.S. defense officials. They're not calling an investigation yet, but they're trying to collect some basic facts. And already Senator McCain's beginning to ask questions about what what were they doing there and how did we not have the intelligence to know that they were going to be ambushed. And NBC has a story that lays out some of the facts as we know them right now. But the attack on our soldiers had not been claimed by a terror group, but a group claiming association with ISIS. And U.S. officials said ISIS in the greater Sahara is probably responsible, so it's obviously a terror group. And a second official called them an ISIS wannabe, direct affiliate of the Syrian-based terror group. You know, the attack and its aftermath now has quickly become a political issue. And no, as... I'm going to get to you in a, get in a second to what has been the, the valid questions that have been asked, but the hypocrisy. But no, we immediately got deviated by reports from the grieving family, the grieving mother of Army Sergeant David Johnson, who was co-opted into news stories by a Florida congresswoman who, you know what, I'm not even going to repeat the congresswoman's name because it's just so pathetic how much she politicized this. I think exploiting a grieving mother who obviously had her biases, who obviously was never a fan of the president to start with, but only eight, nine months into President Trump's administration, as I asked of Gold Star family, Kazir Khan. Would they, would this mother have done this back and forth with President Obama? Now, has President Trump's responses been presidential? Uh, I think many could argue validly that the president should never have engaged at all about anything other than say that he made a phone call and that he thanks the Johnson family for the ultimate sacrifice and the three other families of slain military service members that died in the ambush in Niger. Now, there was a delay, and that might be might have been staff issues, but at the end of the day, he then went on to, in some ways, defend himself, went on to attack President Obama, I think, validly, there's a lot of valid reports that he didn't call every family and wasn't as engaged in his role as commander-in-chief. Again, that's, that's all political banter. As a former naval officer, as a former naval physician, I am offended that the media began the political exploitation immediately after the deaths, the... The bodies had barely arrived 
in the United States. And actually, it turns out that was just when President Trump called this poor grieving mother, which may have colored the response that she gave. And listen, as, as a physician who gives families, sadly, bad information about, or rather, truthful information about bad news, it is a very difficult conversation to have. But the constant drumbeat, hour after hour, segment after segment about what the president said, how inappropriate it was, the president then says, that's not what I said. It's being misrepresented. And then on and on. And now, to add to the conversation, we are hearing the media asked the questions about the Niger attacks that they should have been asking about Benghazi. And this is within only a few days. Is it just me that sees this hypocrisy? When are we going to stop? When are we going to stop exploiting military operations for political purposes? We can talk about policy, whether we should be in a place of conflict or not, but the exploitation immediately for the deaths of our slain servicemen and women. We saw this in Vietnam. We saw this in many conflicts that I would tell you, obviously both sides, the Benghazi response, I think you could make an argument that the right over, overreacted in some things, but by far, the left's underreaction on Benghazi was a cover job, a cover-up for the negligence, malpractice, incompetence of Secretary Clinton in providing security and in providing intelligence in the death of our ambassador to Libya. The lack of protection, the calling back of security, on and on. How many years after 9-11-2012 did it take for us to have any congressional discussion? Because the Obama administration was putting up as many obstacles as possible. Fine. Great questions being asked on the Niger ambush. But do you notice how dogged and and, and how forceful and quick and, and, and tooth and nail they're asking about what's the truth behind it what happened in Niger within 24 hours of the story breaking go back and look at CNN's news pages on 9-12 9-13-2012 and into the next week or two very little coverage and then when it started breaking that there were malfeasance that had happened negligence by the State Department and lack of protection despite being asked on and Trey Gowdy's committee that looked into all those details that to this day many of us believe that Secretary Clinton should have been possibly indicted for some of those problems. And those families of the slain officers, what do they have to show for it? But no, it was deemed as a right-wing deal by the left. When in fact, no real reporting was ever done by CNN and 
other news channels on what actually happened in Benghazi. It took the the non-traditional media to begin to open up that story. And similarly, right now, we see the uh, the opposite. Now, I've not seen any conservative media covering for the Trump administration and the Niger ambush as we begin to find out where it was information. In fact, S- Senator McCain, who obviously has a, a feud going on with President Trump, and I hope that's not why he's asking these questions, but from within the own party, we're seeing questions about what happened in Niger. So the hypocrisy is bizarre. And as a naval officer, I am praying that this establishment in New York and Washington stop exploiting the deaths of our sons and daughters in exchange for political one-upsmanship. Yes, give us the answer to real questions on the Niger ambush, but please... Look in the mirror and see what you did in 9-11-2012 and thereafter on Benghazi. This is Udi Jesser on Reform This, and we'll be right back. Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jesser. Breaching the fault lines of today. The Blaze Radio Network. The progressive movement is full of lies. Why do Americans keep falling for the deception? In his new book, Liars, Glenn Beck reveals the simple answer, fear. At our most basic level, we're all afraid of something. And progressives exploit this by offering us solutions to our fears. Solutions based on lies and an unrelenting hunger for power and control. Understanding the roots of these lies is key to helping us stop the disease of progressivism. Liars by Glenn Beck. On sale now at glennbeck.com slash liars. Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser. This is Dr. Zudi Jasser. Welcome back to Reform This on the Blaze Radio Network. Thank you for being with me this week. And we're trying to make sense of why it is, why is it that the American public cannot find media, find thought leaders that will pay attention to the real problems of the world, the real issues that we need to solve. But no, the axis of thought, the axis of the world, the earth revolves around Washington, D.C. and whoever's in the White House, I guess. Nonsense. Nonsense. Yes, it's important who's president, but... The bigger issues in the world will continue to move forward. Yes, there's a genocide in Syria. Yes, ISIS is on the run. But until we solve the key problems, they will either solve themselves, despite us, or we can help tilt them in the right direction. We saw this week another massive attack, the most massive attack of recent recollection in Somalia. In Mogadishu, a truck bomb had killed over 500, and now the numbers this week are up to 600 in Somalia's worst terror attack in known history. What's going on? Why the continued deaths? Why the massive jihadist attacks if we have them on the run in Iraq and Syria? Somalia's Minister of Information said that hundreds had died. It was an attack on the Ministry of Foreign Affairs nearby. And there's no doubt that ISIS is obviously trying 
to keep itself relevant. The jihadists, now this wasn't an ISIS attack, and Somalia, the jihadists are typically Al-Shabaab, Boko Haram. Al-Shabaab on this attack took credit. It vowed earlier this year to increase its tax after both the Trump administration and Somalia's recently elected president announced new military efforts against the group. There were paramedics, volunteers, civil servants, journalists, and an American family killed. truck had been stopped at a checkpoint, was about to be searched when the driver suddenly accelerated, crashed through the barrier, and then exploded right into a fuel tanker, parked nearby, creating a massive fireball that exponentially increased the numbers killed and injured. The new president who took over Mohammed took over in February, had vowed to rid the country of Al-Shabaab. His name is Mohammed Abdullahi Mohammed, declared three days of national mourning. I bring you this story because these stories should get as much coverage as other ones. The war, the global war against jihadism continues day to day. The attacks that we pay attention to, obviously it's very natural for us to pay more attention to attacks and our own country, in Canada, in Europe, than attacks in the third world or elsewhere. Now that's a natural phenomenon, but if it's a war against the same enemy, we need to recondition ourselves to pay the same amount of attention to them. Because the war is increasing. We can squeeze ISIS and they are on the verge of complete decimation in Syria. They are. Talk to people on the ground in Syria and they'll tell you that the revolution is sadly, sadly fizzling out. But the good news is, thanks to American, French, British operations, no thanks to Russian or Syrian or Iranian operations, ISIS, Raqqa has almost been recovered and no longer run by ISIS. That was supposedly the headquarters of ISIS. And now it is almost completely back in the hands of the Syrian government, Syrian democratic forces, whatever it might be, but not peri-radical Islamist groups or ISIS themselves. So, What's the greatest recruitment tool for global jihadism is to continue to keep themselves relevant as they communicate on the jihadist bulletin boards and wherever in the chat rooms. They say now is the better time than ever. We need to complete more attacks because whether it's in Mogadishu or Damascus or Aleppo or Kirkuk or wherever it is, if they can complete an act of war, then they are relevant. Yes, the land gave them the ability to make the money. Last week, you and I spoke about how $30 million was being made on the sex slave, sex slavery operations of women and girls who were being sold and bought in the market in the Middle East 
because they were no longer ISIS able to make money in oil, food, farming, and agriculture like they were when they owned land. And by the way, stories were coming out now that we've finally some of this land is being taken back about how people who had been working with the Assad regime had been contributing to the financing of ISIS leadership and operatives economically. That should raise many eyebrows when you ask, why is it? Why is it that the Syrian government, with its ability to kill 600,000 Syrians and displace 10 million of its 23 million people, could not figure out a way to get rid of ISIS? Well, it wasn't trying very hard. Neither were the Russians. The existence of ISIS in northern, northeastern Syria and northern Iraq gave them an excuse to continue to decimate the rest of the population. And now comes the second part of what's happening with the decimation of ISIS. Is the quote-unquote unintended consequences in northern Iraq. What do I mean by unintended consequences? Well, we're going to get into that in the next segment. But ultimately... Vacuums. Nature abhors. Nature abhors a vacuum. And those vacuums need to be filled. And if you get rid of ISIS, what's going to come next? What's going to fill that vacuum? Is it simply a dictatorship as the West wants to return to 20th century stability? Or is it other groups? And in northern Iraq, we're seeing a different phenomena happen. I'm going to explain it to you next segment. But nature abhors a vacuum. But ultimately, the attack in Somalia created a win for the jihadists. We're still going to learn which group, how they drove it, where the propaganda came from, but ultimately, it was another massive, massive attack. And yet the left in America continues to try to convince us that jihad is not a problem, that the travel ban should not include countries like Somalia. That somehow they also wanted to blame President Trump's rhetoric on these attacks. Are you kidding me? The attacks are because the ISIS is being squeezed and because the jihadists want to fill vacuums. That's it. We could say whatever we want. They will actually, we could stay silent as President Obama proved and bend on bended knee with appeasement and acquiescence to the Shia radicals and others and ultimately they will still attack us as long as our ideas are infiltrating them and as long as they want to protect their stance as the leaders of the anti-American, anti-Western, anti-Zionist movement as they try to implement and put into place their caliphate and their Islamic state. So it has nothing to do with what our president says or doesn't say. Mayor Khan in London, you should understand this. It has to do with our strength of our military, with how little time they feel they have left on the clock to own their land and steal it from the backs of innocent Syrians and Iraqis. 
It's how little time they feel they have because of the military onslaught coming and because of the revolution that would suffocate and destroy them in the rest of Syria. That is their biggest threat. And when the West weighs in, they attack us in order that we retract and isolate to allow them to wreak their havoc. That's the threat. When we come back, let's talk about the vacuum in northern Iraq and how the Kurds, our greatest ally, the Kurds, our greatest ally, were hung out to dry. This is Udi Jasser on Reform This on the Blaze Radio Network. Breaching the fault lines of today. This is Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network. This is Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network. This is Dr. Zudi Jester. Welcome back to Reform This on the Blaze Radio Network. Well, we were talking about what is America's obligation to our ally in the Middle East, our allies in the Middle East. Obviously, our strongest ally is Israel, but an ally that uh, has been underappreciated since the Iran-Iraq war, since the Iraq war, are the Kurds. Kurdistan. Can anybody name for me one American killed by any Kurdish forces, by any Kurdish radicals? Now the Turks and the Syrians and other anti-Kurdish regimes will will call the Kurds a terror group and we can debate that all you want and regardless of what you think about uh, Masoud Barzani, the president of the Kurdish area and in Iraq, it is horrific to see what transpired in Kirkuk. And in Kirkuk this week, we saw war. Who were the sides of the war? Two sides of a war between Baghdad with American tanks, American arms, controlled by Tehran. So Baghdad goes in to teach Kirkuk a lesson. And the other side are the Kurds, also with American tanks and American arms. But much more synergy, sadly. The Baghdad that we went in to save, and there's so many testimonials this week on social media and elsewhere saying, I can't, there was a, there was a letter on Facebook from a mother who was speaking to her son injured, multiple injuries, missing limb, etc., in, Wal- in Walter Reed Army. And he sat saying, I can't believe, I'm paraphrasing, this is not a direct quote, I cannot believe that we gave so much of our lives in Iraq to now see not only Baghdad become a client state of Tehran, but the Kurds who were gassed by the Iraqi government of Saddam Hussein, who've been abused and came out of that with some sense of independence and economic stability, independence and solidarity, left alone 
to their own devices. Michael Totten summarized it and said this week, One thing is beyond comprehension. That the world should watch while an entire nation is seized preemptorily by the throat, attacked on all fronts, dismembered, devastated, and humiliated. And he's talking about the nation of Kurdistan. And I'll tell you, as a Muslim dedicated to fighting radical Islamism, the Islamism of any Islamic state identity that becomes jihadist, one of the reasons the Kurds are not militant jihadists is when they fight wars, it's about being Kurdish. It's not about being Muslim, which they are Sunni Muslims. Very people, few people in the West who don't really dive deeply into the ethnic, cultural, and religious overlays see the Kurds as Muslims because their primary identity is about being Kurdish. Now, does that pose problems in their hegemonization with Syrian nationalism, Iraqi nationalism, Egyptian, Turkish nationalism? Yeah, absolutely. Maybe they do need their own state. Now, uh, full disclosure, I have been as much as I believe that Syria should have evolved to a federal Syria to give the Kurds that independence federally but maintain Syrian central government, much like we have in the United States with our states, the way it's headed, we may need to revisit that. I think morally, rationally, strategically, Syria makes much more sense as one country. The diversity from the Sunnis to the Shia to the Druze to the Alawi to the Christians, that diversity gives it a strength of stability that should have worked had they not had the evil nature of the genocidal Assad regime preventing any political evolution towards true democratization after 2011's Arab awakening. So, the Kurds were not trying to form their own state last week in Syria, but somehow a preemptive strike in Iraq into Kirkuk, where now this week you see on Monday bodies of two local Kurds who tried to fight the Iraqi forces after Peshmerga, the Kurdish troops withdrew, were carried through the city and flaunted by the Baghdad forces. And there's no doubt that vacuum I was telling you that was getting filled is what happens where ISIS was damping down. Remember, when ISIS first marched into northern Iraq, people were saying, why are the Sunni Arabs letting these forces march in? Why did this happen? Seriously, the old Ba'ath army generals and stuff couldn't fight a series of hundreds of Toyota pickup trucks coming in from Syria? Well, the Sunnis had been the Sunnis had been basically surrendered. But they did not want to surrender to Tehran, which was a sure direct role to prison. They decided to surrender to the other side of that evil coin, which is radical ISIS that came in. And the Ba'athists of Saddam Sunni military dictatorship were not jihadists per se. They were fighting a jihad against Iran, but these were not caliphists, if you will. They were Iraqi nationals who were Ba'athists or social fascists, socialist fascists. But they still let ISIS come in because 
they did not want to see, they would let the devil walk in against the Shia militants of Tehran that had taken over Baghdad and ultimately had been handed Baghdad by the bomb administration that pulled out our troops and allowed so-called democracy to take over in Baghdad through what ultimately ended up being a majoritocracy of Shia Islamists that were sympathetic to Tehran. We ultimately had worked with those who shared our values and the Kurdish seemed to be the most receptive to that. And they built a system of governance and economic independence that they were left alone for a while. Now, was it smart for them to declare independence? Was it smart for them to have that referendum? Absolutely not. I don't know what got into their crow to feel that they needed to do that, but regardless, opening war on Kirkuk is absolutely evil. They wanted to choke Kurdistan's second largest city and at the breaking through the Peshmerga's line with support from the Iraq's 9th Armored Division, the Federal Police and Counterterrorism Units, the West, notably United States and France, should have called, as Michael Totten said, immediately for a ceasefire and denounced this replay of Danzig in the Middle East. But no, nothing happened. So, I don't understand. We can talk about decimating ISIS, but we just left the Kurds to rot. Is that, what we're, is that what's going to happen? And maybe it's going to take a few more weeks, I don't know. Maybe the conflict will wane off and delay, but there's a conflict coming because the vacuum of the evacuation and decimation of ISIS in northern Iraq and Syria is going to create a need for that to be filled, and that is going to be filled by the Shia Islamists, creating a hegemonization of Iran, Iraq, Syria, Lebanon. That Shia crescent, the bulwark remaining in the way of that crescent are the Kurds. So you're going to now see a shift in conflict into that vacuum that will dissipate from the ISIS radicals to a conflict between the Kurds and the Shia Islamists. And at this point, there seems to be American arms on both sides because of the Baghdad situation. And we're going to have to weigh in. If we don't, it'll be no different than when President Obama allowed the Green Revolution to die. And if we do, I ultimately see the only way out is the ultimately redeployment of troops into Iraq to protect that area and chaperone true advancement of civil society. And then ultimately, I think there's going to have to be a UN protection force in Syria for real change there. Otherwise, it will continue to de degrade further into more genocidal killing and decimation of allies and neighborhoods and others. That's what happens when vacuums created. Now you can see, well, we can never create democracy there. We should just put in place tin pot dictators. That's not the way history is moving. And I would tell you that in the long term, we may make some mistakes. We may 
wish we had done things this way versus that way, but the worst has been seen. It cannot get any worse. So I can tell you isolationism and hands-offism allows Russia and Iran to fill vacuums that become huge threats where Hezbollah is lining up missiles against us and against our greatest ally, Israel, in the Middle East. And Israel had to take some of those out, and those will only increase with tens of thousands of troops. And Iran will create more conflict in order to solidify its ownership of Iraq and Syria, as Syria now has become a full-fledged client state of Iran. That's what happens when vacuums are filled and when the United States is missing in action. And I, again, I don't think this had to be another military option. We will continue to play whack-a-mole until we actually start to take sides within the House of Islam. This is Zudi Jasser on Reform This, and we'll be back for our last segment. You're listening to Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser. The Blaze Radio Network. 40 Acres and a Fool with Cam Edwards. You know, there are a lot of pretty rural areas out there. Northwest New Jersey. Northwest New yeah, Jersey, okay. yeah. There was a lot of farmland, but I know that New Jersey's got one of the highest property taxes in the country, so yeah. I can't even imagine what it must take to, to pay the property taxes on some of those things. And even on, in South Jersey, where it's more garden, more farmland. 40 Acres and a Fool, on demand. New episodes posted every Saturday at noon Eastern on theblaze.com slash radio. SoundCloud, iTunes, and Google Play Music. Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jesser. This is Dr. Zudi Jesser. Welcome back to the last segment this week of Reform This on the Blaze Radio Network. You know, there's a story that got punctuated this week, a story that you and I talked about a year or two ago, a year and a half ago. The story of the curious Army Sergeant Bo Bergdahl. He pled guilty at Fort Bragg. Now, there was a video released about a documentary that interviewed him in which he complained and whined about President Trump and how his language caused him to get the most extreme adjudication. And he continued to whine. And I have to tell you that as he pled guilty, and I pray, I pray that he get the strongest sentence, a life sentence, if not more, at Leavenworth for deserting his troops, for deserting his country, for the search that then led to the deaths of upwards of six different army service members that were looking for him and lost their lives. And then on top of that, the good old President Obama released five criminals, enemies of our state, some of whom already have been let go by Qatar to go back and fight with the Taliban in the Middle East against the United States. And these five, because President Obama said no, no matter what he did, no American should be left behind. Well, that's fine. But seriously, giving away major assets of Al-Qaeda, Taliban, and other enemies of the United States is what we should get back for nobody being left behind? His guilty plea this week 
is a testimony, testimony to the fact that all of our concerns, for those of us who knew that there was more to the story, the media pundits that drove home the fact that Bo Bergdahl was a problem, that he received the maximum penalty up front, and we're told, oh, this is just hatred against vocal anti-war family. I'll remind you, the sermonizing of President Obama from the Rose Garden with Bergdahl's parents upon the news of the release of their son, in which the president read in Arabic and brought the name of Allah in his comments. And now we see Bo Bergdahl going up to prison. And don't let the door hit you on the way in, Army Sergeant Bo Bergdahl. He was released in May 2014 after a highly criticized deal in which five Taliban terrorists were set free. And I'll remind you that Ambassador Susan Rice and President Obama had said that he had served with honor and distinction. Now he enters a plea of guilty for desertion. His punishment has not been set. It should be set on October 23rd. And ultimately, I have to tell you, there is some catharsis in knowing that we were correct. He did not turn out to be even remotely a hero. And it's sad that we had to hand over so many assets and lose our soldiers trying to get him back. And over, over, over and over, it is going to likely would have been shown, which is why he pled guilty, that he knowingly walked away from his post and knowingly dodged, dodged our troops who went to look for him. God knows if he gave away any secrets, we may never know the answer to that. Yep, it's sad. You know, week to week, today, a lot of talk about military issues, radical Islamist issues, Syria, the Kurds, Iraq, Somalia, troops dying abroad, being convicted, pleading guilty. We're mostly in a hot kinetic war against radical jihadists. And yet we haven't even begun to scratch the surface, the, the, the underbelly of what feeds the ideology of radical Islamists. The New York Times, again, had a long piece. Had a long piece about radical Islam. No, sorry, I, I was dreaming. It was about Secretary Tillerson and the politics of President Trump and the politics of a dysfunctional State Department and how all of a sudden Secretary Tillerson, who had come out of the ExxonMobil petro-global establishment, friends in Qatar, friends in Russia and elsewhere, now is being seen as the victim because of the way he's being treated by President Trump, that somehow this antagonism 
has created dysfunction as as Secretary Tillerson hasn't filled many slots. And my question, despite the thousands and thousands of words in the New York Times that drove this as simply a dysfunction between Tillerson and Trump, I would tell you the bigger issue is there's no strategy. How do you know and figure out who to hire if you don't have a a, a, a focus and a mission on what our State Department should be achieving? What is the mission? What are we fighting? The defense of our troops? Well, you could just preserve them by pulling them out. We don't want these vacuums to get pushed in, as we talked about, to get filled in by radical Islamist Kurds that will be killed and others. Nobody knows. What's the mission of the State Department now? Where are we going? That question wasn't even asked. We should be talking about a commission on radical Islam that President Trump in the campaign promised he would have. We should be talking about combating violent Islamism in Iraq, in Syria, in Afghanistan, in Somalia, in Niger, all across the Middle East and across Europe and the United States. That should be the central axis upon which discussions about the Secretary of State, discussions about the mission of our government should be, but no. It's constantly about partisan bickering, about palace intrigue, and nothing, nothing about the reality of what it would mean to run the world's largest and strongest and most influential Department of State. And just about all all they could talk about is unfilled positions and the dysfunction of a dynamic that nobody knows that ultimately people aren't appointed because Trump vetoes appointments based on who was a never-Trumper or whatever it might be, and that's the entire piece. Are you serious? The, the, The leading country in the world on freedom and liberty is mired in dissolving down the sewage of gossip-based palace intrigue. How are we any different than the monarchs in the Middle East? We can't even harness a new focus, a new compass in the White House on presenting a strategy to advance liberty and defeat radical Islamism. And until we're able to do that and not get mired into the politics of Saudi Arabia versus Qatar, of Shia versus Sunni, but rather taking the sides of reformists against autocrats and theocrats, taking the sides of 21st century Muslims and against the side of 12th century Muslims, taking the side of those who believe in metamorphosis and change, not just in giving women the right to drive, but the right to equality. That is the United States that my family came to believe and embrace American exceptionalism and reject Islamism. That should be the focus of the State Department. We should reinvigorate the U.S. Information Agency and begin to have a reinvigorated public diplomacy program and work with allies on the ground and civil society. And yes, reestablish a protection of true allies like the Kurds, Kurdistan, and recognize who they are and what they are. We need to have a strategy. We need to have clarity from the top down. And we will continue to 
to be victimized by radical militants that we should be able to destroy in a heartbeat, but we aren't focused and we're losing vision of what it means to be American as we get caught in these identity politics versus palace intrigue versus a lack of focus about what a Trump doctrine should be in the Middle East. Thank you for being with me this week. God bless you. The struggle will continue. Reformers out there, join me at my Twitter handle at Dr. Zudi Jasser, D-R-Z-U-H-D-I-J-A-S-S-E-R. And we will continue to fight for your freedom, your security. And may the good guys and gals win in this battle against theocracy. This is Zudi Jasser on Reform This. Breaching the fault lines of today. This is Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network.